You're listening to a Sunday sermon from Seven Mile Road Church in Melrose, Massachusetts, just north of Boston. To check out more about us, go to sevenmilemelrose.com. Today, I just want to let you guys know we're beginning, beginning a new sermon series called God's King this week. As we spend the next months, the coming months, in the Old Testament book of Samuel, we're going to see God's people foolishly reject God as king. Instead of God, the people are going to desire an earthly king, one that they could see with their own eyes. And God ends up granting them their wish in Saul. He's a king who ultimately lets them all down. See, through everything, though, what we're going to see is that God continues loving his people. And he ends up providing a good earthly king, David, who ends up pointing to the ultimate king, who is God Jesus. So as we're beginning, just wanted to frame today, we're going to frame today so that we can have an understanding of what's coming in the future. So our circumstances today, as we get into this book, we're going to see are not the same as those of the people in the book of Samuel. For example, we are not God's people nationally in the same way Israel was. And another example is They were waiting for Jesus to come and to be born while we're on this side of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. So everything's not a straight line. But what we will see is that we face the same questions every day in every area of life that they faced, which is, is God my king? Do I trust him? Do I obey him? So today we're going to orient ourselves to this book. And so we're not going to start in the very first of the book of Samuel. We're going to start in chapter 12 and we'll get an idea of how, of where this book fits in the story of God. I once had a month's long parking space battle with a parking enforcement officer. I needed the space and clumsily written regulations made this spot right in front of our house seem not only logical, but legal. I knew how I wanted things to be. And I didn't appreciate authority countering me. So I did what I wanted. I did what I wanted. At the same time, the real authority knew how things were going to be and was committed to me learning the rules. So many nights I would park in this spot, convinced it was legal, fully convinced it was legal. And a few hours later, a ticket would be issued and placed on the windshield. I assumed each ticket was an oversight. I just did. It was a huge mistake by them. And then I would appeal the tickets. So after the first three appeals were granted, I felt validated in my position. And I was quite pleased with my newly attained authority. Because I was now calling the shots. You see? Because do you know what's better than having the ticket book? Having permission to tear up the tickets and throw them away. That's what's better. And I was now the authority. So I continued parking there even as more tickets were being issued. Now, pretty soon I had made a template for new appeals and I began sending them to City Hall in batches. I'm not proud of this. And here's why. It's because you have to be very efficient when you're fighting such important battles in life. 
And so I had these template, this template, and I would just change the numbers and send them in. And somewhere along the way, my appeals stopped being granted. And this was a problem because I'd continued racking up tickets. And so now I had to go to city hall and appeal the tickets in person. It is very hard for me to convey to you the level of irritation and the amount of disbelief on the appeals officer's face as I explained the situation. Imagine Ron Swanson, but angry. See, it turns out that when my initial appeals were granted, they were not validating my authority over parking regulations. They were not making me the parking czar, which I thought they were. They weren't even making me a parking deputy. They didn't even give me like the little wings that kids get on the airplane when they fly. They didn't give me those. Instead, they were simply giving me mercy. And they had hoped that I would understand and that I would figure things out. They hoped that I would learn to obey the rules. The problem, though, was that I wanted to be the authority. I believed I should be the authority. And I wanted it to be one way, but it was the other way. And it would always be the other way. And I needed to understand that. They helped me understand that day, though, because they told me, quote, we are granting you these appeals today. This will not happen again. And it did not happen again. Now, you may be able to laugh at my story and laugh at me, and you may be able to know that you would not do what I did. And that's awesome that you wouldn't. But where are the places in your life where you want to be the authority? Where do you insist upon being the authority? Even to the point where you fight against true authority. Even when the consequences are piling up. Where is it that you want to make the rules, enforce the rules, and how dare anyone get in your way? Where are those places? Maybe it's with your job. And you do things the way your boss or a regulatory agency says that you should. Until you think that's dumb or until no one is watching and then you start making the rules or maybe it's at home where you absolutely adore your spouse and your kids until they infringe upon your space and your time or your convenience, which is the specialty of kids. And then you start making the rules or maybe it's with money where you know how you should spend and save and give but that limits you and it infringes on your plan. And so you start making the rules or maybe it's with something or with someone you find satisfaction in, except, you know, God tells, you no. but you keep on anyway, making your own rules. This is all of our problem, isn't it? It's the human problem. It's a, a sin problem. We have authority. We have an authority over us. We have God, the King of all creation, who has made the world and everything in it and has created us to live under his wisdom, care, and protection. When we live under his authority, when we honor him, things go well. Things go well. And we have joy. But we want authority. And that's the problem. We want to be the authority. So we collide with God. We rebel against him. We oppose him. 
See, God is king, and we like that, except when we don't. Except when we don't. And that's when we take over to do what we think is best. Now, today, as we're beginning this series called God's King, you'll notice, I told you before, we're not starting at the beginning of the book. We'll do that next week. You can think of today like a pregame show that's like, it's, it's set up to help you see the context and the themes and the key things that we're going to see in, in, the, in what's to come. So we're moving to the middle of the book for today. And we're, this passage we read is in 1 Samuel chapter 12. So we skip 12 chapters in to a place that would help us get a handle on where the book of Samuel is in God's big story. Where does it sit there? And to see this big theme that will keep showing up throughout. See, rebelling against God's authority is not a new thing for God's people. You're not the first one to rebel against God. I'm not the first one to rebel against God. We're going to see that. And then next week, we'll start at the beginning of the book and go from there. So let's read 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 6 to 9. And then we're going to get into it. And Samuel said to the people, the Lord is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now, therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot the Lord, their God. And he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazar, and into the hands of the Philistines and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. You can guess that Samuel is a big character in this book because it's named after him. It's the thing. It's big. He's big in this. But Samuel was also a priest and a judge over Israel and a prophet. He is the only one that speaks in today's passage. And he begins saying and pointing out that God is witness to everything he says. So though Samuel is the one speaking, you should know that God is witnessing it to his people. See, Samuel was talking to the people. He's talking to God's people who were formed generations before when God had rescued them from under Pharaoh's oppressive rule. You see, God is always good, right, and perfect. And he only acts towards his people and for his people in righteous ways. And at that time, when they were under Pharaoh's rule in Egypt, God acted towards them and led them from Egypt and has been righteous to them all along as he's led them to the promised land. Yet God's people throughout keep wanting him to not be their king. And this is a cycle that emerges in the Bible. And it's a story that we often live ourselves. It may seem familiar to you. And it goes like this. First, God creates a great situation for his people. Second, God's people sin. They disobey him and end up in a bad situation with no hope. Third, God's people cry out to God for help. Fourth, God sends help and rescues his people. And fifth, God's people live in safety 
until they forget and the cycle begins again. And you can rinse and repeat this for generations. Got that? We may be seeing that not, for, not in ourselves, but maybe in other people. We've seen those things happen before, right? Well, it happens in the Bible and it happens over and over in the Bible. And it's why Samuel is saying what he's saying in this passage. It's this, the people forget about God. The people forgot about God. They forgot what he'd done. They forgot his rescue and they forgot the source of their rescue and their safety. God was active and present with his people. So the one thing that could not happen when God was present with them was forgetting him because that tells lies about God. It says he's not there. It tells lies about who is king and it allows others who are not good, right, and perfect to then become an authority over the people. See, when they quit being God's people, they also walked away from God's protection. When we quit being God's people, we also walk away from God's protection. So with that in mind, things are not going great, right? So we can guess what God's people did after they forgot him and had war on their hands. Let's read in first Samuel 12, 10. We'll just continue the passage. And they cried out to the Lord and said, we have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have, have served the balls and the Asherah. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jerubal and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side and you lived in safety. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites came against you, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord, your God was your king. See, when things started to go bad, they cried out to God. They repented of their sin. They were honest about who they were and what they had done and about who God was. And they, they confessed that they had turned to these, these idols and turned to these fertility cults. And he did this and, and, and they repented and God heard their prayers. God heard their prayers. And he rescued them by sending a deliverer. And he did it over and over again. And that's something for us to see here. Our hearts are prone to wonder. See, we sing that, right? In the old hymn, Come Thou Fount. Our hearts are prone to forget God. Our hearts are prone to want to make our own calls and be our own authority. This is why God's people and we keep forgetting that God is king. It's because we want to be king. In these few verses, Samuel brings up multiple incidents of God's people forgetting him and repenting and being delivered and living safely again until it happens again. See, God rescued them from Egypt, but they forgot the Lord, their God. That's what he said here. The Lord rescued them from the Philistines and Moab, and they asked for a king to rule over them. Do you see the drift of their hearts to forget God. Do you see that in there? 
Do you see that even as God rescues them, even as he rescues them, they ask for an earthly king? Do you recognize in them something that happens in your own heart? See, what gets very scary is that the drift of our hearts is not merely a drift to faithlessness. The drift of our hearts is to faith in something else. The drift of our hearts to forget God is always a drift to some other authority. It's always a drift to some other authority in our lives that will rule our lives. Maybe even subtly at first, but will eventually wreck us. See the sneakiness of the human heart here because the people didn't simply forget about God and act like they had no God. Instead, they began serving another. And whether it's a statue or money or substances or sex or comfort or power, the drift of our hearts isn't merely a drift of faithlessness. The drift is always, always to faith in something else. And that something else never fulfills. Always lets down. Always leaves us weak, hurting, and without hope. Samuel continues in verse 13. And now behold the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked... Behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord. And if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord, your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. See, in requesting their own king, notice here, God's people aren't repenting. Do you see that? They're short-circuiting the process. They want deliverance from a king, not repentance. But God gives them what they ask for, a king like the other nations. Yet even as he does so, read this. He also makes clear or hear this. There's still one reality that doesn't change whether they have a king or not. And it's that God is king. God is king. You can read it here in this. These, you can see it in this text. No matter what, their lives must align with that truth. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord. If both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord, your God, it will be well. You hear it in there? You can have this king, but if you and this king aren't aligned, it's a problem. See, if they fear, serve and obey and do not rebel against him, then it will be well. Then it will be well. In fact, their king must fear God. 
no matter what life looks like, their earthly king will only rule so far. And he will only rule so well as he aligns with their true and heavenly king. No matter the headlines, their earthly king is a lesser king. God is king. And that's why Samuel tells them in verse 15. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. See, God is king and will always be king. As we spend the coming months in the book of Samuel, there's a big question that will continue to arise and will continue to determine whether things go well for God's people or whether his hand is against them. Is God your king? That's the question. To begin the book, God is king over his people. But they decide they don't like that. You got to see that here. He will give them an earthly king, Saul, who will be his own king and make his own rules, eventually losing the throne because of it. Then God will give them King David, who will love God and serve his people well to a place of prosperity and a place of thriving, but will himself fall under judgment for making his own rules and living his own way and being his own authority. Over and over, whether priest or king or people, the question will be there. Is God your king? And so it is for us. Is God your king? Is God my king? Is there a parking spot in your life? Is there a place where you'll assume authority no matter what? What's the place in your life where you have to have it your way, where you'll fight the king, even when it's irrational, immoral, or hurts you or others? Where's that spot? We're going to be begging the spirit to show us because the good news is that there's hope for us because God didn't stop with those Kings. He promised another King who would deliver his people and not only from armies, but from their sins. See, God promised to send his son, Jesus, the King whose throne will be established forever, who would deliver fully And finally, he promised King Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father, where we are not trusting in him, where we've drifted from faithfulness to forgetfulness. We can cry out to God 
hear that good news. We can repent and receive forgiveness through faith in Jesus. He rescues, he protects, he works for the good of his people so that we might flourish. God did that thousands of years ago and he does that today. He's never made that more clear than in the sending of the son, Jesus for you and for me. God is not only the king. He's the king who delivers when we drift and who rescues when we repent. Let's rejoice in him. Let's return to him. God is king. Let's bow to Jesus and let's confess him through word and deed in every area of life. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that you are king. We thank you that you rescue us when we repent. And so I pray that spirit, you would help us to repent. You would give us eyes to see where we are not submitting to you and to your kingship in every area of life. Give us eyes to see. And would you turn us spirit from sin to the true and living God to Jesus? We ask for your help. Give us eyes to see, I pray. Amen. Amen. This is the part of our worship where we come to the Lord's table.